Uh, this morning, we are continuing our study in Romans, the 12th chapter, looking at what it means to be the body of Christ, to be a church, to be a healthy church. We're going to pick it up again where we started reading last week, Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Then he uses the analogy, just as each of us has one body, with many members, lots of parts. These members do not all have the same thing. They don't all do the same thing, not the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We are one. Uh, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. And then he goes through a list of different gifts. He says, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's in contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. That list of different gifts, it's not an, an exhaustive list, but just several examples of the different things that people can do. So two things. One is we want to encourage people to discover the gifts that God has given them, and everybody has different gifts. But number two, we need to let you use those gifts and not stand in the way of using those gifts. And let me encourage you, if you're not quite sure what your spiritual gifts are, just start stepping out in faith and see what you can do. Uh, one of the things that we want to do is create an atmosphere in our church where it's safe enough to fail. Are you hearing me? Safe enough to fail. Not everybody has to do everything perfectly all the time. And if you don't do it just perfectly, then everybody gets nailed for not doing anything uh, quite right. If you start uh, in a certain area of service or something, if it doesn't work for you, no big deal. Let's find another place. And if it takes you a long time to find your place, welcome to the club. Some of us, it took a long time to find out what we should be doing. It's okay. So just keep looking. Where can I get involved to be part? What gifts can I offer into the church so that we can be a healthy body? And then uh, we got as far as verse 9. Last week, love must be sincere. And uh, why would he say that? Because it's very easy for love to be insincere. If there is one knock on the Christian faith at large, is that many, many people of Christian faith tend to be big, fat, stinking phonies. All right? They wear plastic faces, and they come to church, and they put on their plastic face, you know, and I mean, they might be driving to church, screaming at their kids, yelling at one another, threatening death at any minute. Walk in the front door, how you doing? Fine, hi, good to see you all, you know, just, man, don't be like, first of all, try not to kill each other on the way to church, but if you are, walk in, say, how you doing? Ah, oh, we're having a bad day, you know, be real. You should be able to say, look, I'm struggling, having a hard time, financially, we're having a hard time, having a hard time with this, that, or the other, and and uh, give an opportunity for people to know where you're at so they can pray with you and encourage you. The Bible says we're supposed to bear each other's burdens. Kind of hard to do if you don't know what those burdens are. But everybody's into this plastic thing, you know, nobody should know our business, you know, and everybody's just doing their little thing and playing these games. We don't want to play games. Let love be sincere. If you're struggling, you need to communicate that. Uh, so be, love should be sincere. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Pretty familiar verse of Scripture. Uh, it's called the love chapter, and uh, it's familiar because so many people hear it read at weddings. But you have to understand, this was not written for weddings. This was not written for boyfriends and girlfriends. Not written for some people standing at the altar 
drug-induced with romance in their eyes. This was written for people in the church. You and me interacting with one another. That's what this love is about. And he starts to describe what love is. First of all, he says love is patient. Goodness gracious, if there's one way you can find out people aren't walking in love is that they have no patience. Something starts going wrong, they start having a cow right away. And they get so upset. Things haven't changed. Things haven't changed. Be patient. I have. I've waited three weeks. Hello. Come on. It takes time for things to get straightened out. It takes time for people to walk through issues. It takes time for churches to adjust to different challenges and stuff. Man alive. Just blown away by how some people had a fit and a cow when things started getting changed in our budgets. You know, back, you know, six, seven, eight weeks ago. And they couldn't handle it. Be patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. Seeking. It is not easily angered. It should take a lot to tick you off if you're walking in love. Some people, they get, they're just real short switch. So you just push the right button. They go crazy on you. All right, that's not love. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. (laughs) Man, if that isn't one people struggle with, do they ever keep records of wrongs? I remember that time back in 1937 when you said that you're dirty, filthy, rotten, no good person. Good grief. Lighten up a little bit. I have people coming to me from time to time. Look, if I say something you don't understand, come see me right away. Because I don't remember. <laughs> people go, you said such and such in a sermon. I go, really? Doesn't sound like me. You know, maybe is it possible you didn't hear it right? Is it just possible? Well, that's what you said. Really, when? Three and a half years ago. Eight o'clock in the morning, you said, you know, seriously. Man, if you keep records of my wrong, you're going to run out of paper. (laughs) Just chill out a little bit. Don't be keeping track of all the things you don't like about stuff. You got a problem, come say it right away. Your thing you write down should be an etch-a-sketch. You know, there's only so much room, and if you bump it, you erase it anyway. Keeping track, man. Some of y'all just remember every little thing that was ever done to you. Couples do this to each other. Man, I just, you know. One lady stepped in the foyer, first time I ever saw her. And, you know, started introducing myself to her. And it didn't take 30 seconds. And she started telling me of the horrible things her husband did to her. And I was like, wow. First of all, I don't know you. <laughs> What part of this says, tell me all your garbage in 30 seconds? <laughs> but then I thought, wow, because it was pretty awful what, what she was saying. I said, I said, goodness, when did this happen? She said, 20 years ago. <laughs> Whoa, lady, check your meds. 20 years ago? And you're telling me your stuff like it happened yesterday? <laughs> goodness gracious. No wonder some people die early. Seriously. 
Love does not delight in evil, always rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. I don't know if I can trust. I don't know if I can trust. I just don't. Hello? What does that say about you? You're not walking in love. Why? Because love always trusts. When you have a hard time, trust. A lot of times people have a hard time trusting and they go to the source. Can I really trust that? Can I really trust that? Can I really trust that? They focus on me. You know, God, pastor, can I trust that pastor? Can I trust this person? Can I trust? Hello. If you're walking in love, the focus should be me. If I'm having a hard time trusting, it's time to start looking here. I need to start walking in love because the Bible says love always trust. So it's hard, pastor. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to church. It's hard. Life is hard. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Anyway, back in Romans, then we got, we finished that verse and said, hate what is evil, cling to that which is good. Talked about loving the sinner, but not necessarily loving the sin. Okay, you can not approve of what people do, but don't have to be mean to the people who do it. Amen? All right. So let's pick it up. Continuing on. He says, now be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Devoted. Now I looked up devoted in the dictionary. It says, to be devoted means to center the activities of oneself wholly or chiefly on a specified object, field, or objective. To attach oneself. To set oneself upon that's what it means to be devoted. It's taking the focus off of you and putting it onto something or someone else. That's what it means when you're totally devoted to something. Your energies are now focused out here. And what he's saying is we should be totally devoted to one another. That's when you know a church is getting really healthy because people are more focused on others than they are themselves. Now granted, you just don't get there overnight and this takes some time to figure this stuff out. But you just need to know if you're constantly thinking about you and always concerned about how you feel and concerned about how others react towards you and everything, you know, someone can sneeze on one side and somebody over here is like, wow, that was about me. You know, he's like, goodness, quit thinking about you all the time. Not everything that happens is about you. The moon doesn't follow you at night when you're driving. It's just there. It's not about you, 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 you. Get focus off of you. It's amazing. I mean, a lot of people, they struggle with that. They literally think. You know, somebody walks by and, you know, if I, if I drive past you on the highway and I don't wave at you, that's an insult. He, 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 he went right past me. And he didn't wave. They take everything as an insult. Why? Because everything's always about them. Man, if I drive past you and didn't notice you, maybe just thank God I didn't crash into something. <laughs> I'm driving out. Who's in the other car? Hello? Do I know you? <laughs> Good grief. That person didn't smile. He didn't look at me just the right way. I just know that they think I'm terrible. I did everything. They're talking in a corner. A lot of you can tell people, three, four people will be talking together, and you know you're consumed by you if you're convinced they're talking about you. Hello? Relax a little bit. Start focusing outwardly. It's not all about you. Honor one another, he says, above yourselves. Honor, that means to show preferential treatment towards someone. When you honor someone, someone 
who's in charge or someone who's accomplished great things or someone who's a great financial success or a great athlete. We honor those. And, and it's okay to honor, but in the Christian community, in, the, in a healthy church environment, the Bible says we should all honor everybody. Honor. Wouldn't it be great if people came to church and they had no idea who was in charge? Because everybody honored everybody. Everybody was nice to everybody, respected everybody. Wouldn't it be great if somebody came, everybody was coming around this one guy and they were honoring him, being real nice to him. And someone's like, wow, wow, is, is he in charge of the church? No, 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 that's the guy that mows the lawn. Really, why is everybody being so nice to him? Oh, I don't know, we just honor everybody, see. We treat everybody with respect. Focusing again, outward, respecting everybody equally. No one should be able to tell who's got money around here and who doesn't. Amen. Sadly, most of them don't. <laughs> but anyway, <we're laughs> you got money, we need you. But anyway, you know, but, but you, I tell you what, you got money, it doesn't buy you jack squat in this church. Somebody say amen. amen. That's right. You're not going to all of a sudden, oh, I got money. I, got, I should have a place of leadership and authority in this church. No. No. You don't buy yourself. You don't buy authority in this church. It's not about money. Verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I like this one. Keep your spiritual intensity. Keep your your spiritual intensity. Now that's something that's easy to lose. Number one. And number two, it's easy to get diverted. Let me explain. Let's start with how easy it is to lose. Jesus told this parable. This is in Matthew, the 13th chapter. This is talking about Jesus. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, it scorched and it withered because it had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And still others fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Why would he say that? Because he knew he was speaking in parables and telling stories that had spiritual analogies and people weren't necessarily understand it. And sure enough, his disciples came to him and said, okay, what are you talking about? What are you sowing? What are you talking about? So he starts to explain that the sower is our people of faith. We go out and we sow seed. We share the love of God. We share the truth of God, the knowledge about God into people's lives. And he just spread it everywhere because you have no control. You don't know where it's going to land. Some people, I mean, as soon as you land it, it's not out there more than 10 seconds. And the devil comes in and just takes it, you know, has no effect on them. Uh, other people, they'll receive the word right away. Oh, this is great. And they get excited about God for just a short time in their lives. But as soon as trouble or things don't go their way or they're easily discouraged and they fall by the wayside. You see a lot of that uh, in churches. Lots of people, by the way, come to Jesus in faith, uh, but then they don't tend to stick around. That's normal. That's the parable that Jesus shared. Uh, but then he gets to this one about the thorns. Now, this is the one that's really the scariest to me. Because let us assume for the most part that most of you here really are committed believers in Jesus Christ. Well, our greatest uh, danger is that we would be plants that are among thorns that will choke the life out of you. 
And, and Jesus explains what he was talking about when he went back to his disciples and he explained what that was. He said, in verse 22, he says, Now the one who received the seed that fell among thorns is the man who hears the word. He's a believer. He receives this. Yes, this is great. I love this. This is fabulous. They're growing healthily. Uh, just like all the healthy plants, they're growing right along. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it and make it unfruitful. The worries of life, that's the danger any of us have because it will rob you of your spiritual energy. Concerns about everyday living. Every... Now, in all fairness, Life has seasons. There are seasons of life. There are different times of life when you face different challenges. And the different seasons look different. And that's okay. Don't get discouraged about that. You know, when you're single and got all the time to yourself, life is different. A lot of young people that go on mission trips and serve God as a, tend to be uh, young single people. They go out and do all this stuff. And it's great. It's fabulous. But then life kicks in. You get married. Uh, different season things start changing again you just need to be careful that you don't let that concern of life choke the spiritual life out of you then children come there's a season for you <laughs> a long season you know what i'm saying and if your life is consumed by jelly-faced little toddlers life's going to be different for a while you know some of you moms are convinced right now that you're going to die that there'll never be life beyond jelly okay be of good cheer it's just a season this will change some of you husbands it wouldn't kill you to help the girl out why don't you take the rugrats for a while let them peel your brain like a banana <laughs> give, give the girl some breath for crying out loud all right but it's just a season of life and it is what it is and challenges business some of you starting your own business you know how many ever tried that fun experiment you know that there's a time of freedom in your life huh <laughs> people say oh if i just had my own business there'd be lots of free time <laughs> no there's not the no time man it'll just drive you crazy it's hard work hard hard work and there's seasons where you give lots of energy in that but again these things change life you know you get older you know just everything Life has seasons. That's okay. What you need to be careful about as people of faith, because remember, this is one of the warnings. You can be growing just like all the other plants around here, but if you're not careful, you will let the cares of this life suck the energy out of you. It will choke you off. If your life only becomes about jelly-faced toddlers, you're in trouble. If your life only becomes about business and work and making money, you are in trouble. You need to be careful. The Bible says, man, keep your spiritual fervor. So number one, the biggest danger is that life will choke you. You got to be on guard that that doesn't happen. And the other danger in losing zeal is if your zeal gets diverted, if the energy gets diverted. Energy is energy. Um, and it, you know, it has to move. Uh, for example, the energy going to these lights lights everything up. If you stick a fork in the socket, the energy will get diverted. <laughs> and it looks different. You know what I'm saying? Okay? Now, one of the easiest things that gets people diverted is anger. You get mad about something. And in all fairness, it's hard to see the difference between 
zeal for God and just being ticked off. But it's a danger. Again, we need to warn each other of these things. We need to be careful. It's easy to get mad about something thinking you're fighting for righteousness. I'm going to fight for that which is right. And it's amazing how many Christians in their fight for righteousness turn into mean, nasty little snots. And they say, critical, and they don't believe nothing, and they're attacking it. But they think, they think they're being fervent for God. No, 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 no. Remember, the Bible says the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. You don't get to truth and anger. And again, we have all done this. If you've done this, welcome to the family. We've all done this. I've done this. It's an easy thing to do. You're just here. You've got this incredible energy for God. And then all of a sudden, you're just ticked off. But I'm telling you, emotionally, it feels the same. Emotionally, where you see the difference is the fruit. What are you seeing? What are you doing? You know, if you're getting nasty or getting mean or you're getting critical, even though you're fighting for what is right, that just does not justify a mean spirit. You have to be careful. You do not get to the truth and anger. A lot of women have this problem. In their relationships. Let me explain. They will egg on a man. And they'll pick at a man and push at a man and just go on a man. It's like, like a bear in a cage with a stick. And finally the guy will get mad and turn around and go, and say something terrible. And she'll go, aha. Aha, I knew it. I knew that's what you really believed. You know, hello. That's not what he really believes. Then why'd he say it? Because you were making him crazy. That's why he said it. <laughs> Ladies, you do not get to the truth in anger. If you got to the truth in anger, Jesus would have told us to go around and punch people in the face. <laughs> I do. I want to know the truth. Smash! And why did he say Because you made him crazy. You have to understand, ladies, we're different than you. When a man, when you start fighting with a guy, a guy starts fighting, he goes into seek and destroy mode. Right, guys? That's what you do. You're bad on somebody. You don't try to negotiate with him. You try to kill him. If you're playing a sport and you notice the guy has a weakness in a certain area, ooh, you light up on the inside. If you're playing tennis, you know the guy has a hard time running from one side to the other for a backhand. Well, you just set him up, see. You play to his weakness. As soon as you can, he smash and he runs and he messes up. You, uh. <laughs> you start getting a guy mad and angry. He's just going to go into seek and destroy mode. He's going to find your biggest weakness. And he's going to attack it. Now, is that right? No, you shouldn't do that. Okay, you should be nice. But I'm just telling you. And I know women who walk out on 20 years of marriage because the guy said one thing in a counseling session or one thing in a time of argument. How dare he? He said that. I, I waited your divorce because he said that. Well, I didn't know he even meant that. And they stare at me like, what do you mean? Why else would he say it? Because apparently only women speak the truth from their hearts at all time. I don't know. <laughs> but you do not get to the truth in anger. Don't be bugging some guy, driving him crazy, and then beat him over the head with his own words. And all the men said, there you go. <laughs> Sound like a bunch of Presbyterians this morning. Y'all holding back on me, guys. Hallelujah. Final one. We'll stop with this one. Be joyful in hope. 
joyful in hope. How do you do that? How do you be joyful in hope? See, we have a hard time understanding that today because hope doesn't mean what it meant. The words, you know, words change over time. You know what I'm saying? I mean, when I grew up, bad was bad. Now, if you're bad, that's good. <laughs> you know, fat was too fat. No, that means it was fat. P-H-A-T, that's cool. You know what I'm saying? Words, words change. I can't keep up with it all, making me crazy. Bald is still bald, though. Nobody's coming up with no of that, so I don't know. What, <laughs> I, I, need a, I need a good version of that. If y'all can work that. You young people, come up with something cool on that. That'll be good. <laughs> but words change, you know. Hope today means wish. Oh, I hope so. Oh, I hope so. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. And so they're just wishing. That's not what hope means. If you go to the dictionary, hope has a whole different feel. It means to desire with expectation. That's what biblical hope means. It means you fully expect it to happen. It's not wishing. It's hoping, true hope. Again, it's hard to hear it because in our ears, we're, hope now means wish. But true, the word hope literally still means, although it's changing, to desire with expectation. You expect. It's like, you know, you guys who, uh, you know, have put in your you know, income tax return. All right? You don't have the money yet, but you are filled with hope. <laughs> See, because you fully expect that money to come in. Okay, that's what we're talking about. It reminds me of uh, some years ago, you know, we were young, married, and, and uh, you know, <laughs> early, early days, you know, everything's a, everything's a huge disaster, you know, a huge challenge. And I, I think we had a bill or something for $150, you know, which was, which was nothing. Kind of reminds me of my daughter, story within a story. See if I get really lost. Uh, <laughs> I won't know what I'm talking about, about five minutes. Uh, my daughter and Ross had just gotten married, you know, and like, I don't know, about a year later, she comes in the house and she's just crying. I made a mistake. I made a mistake. And I'm thinking, oh, no. Oh, no. We sat down to the table and she's crying. I made a mistake. What is it? What is it? She says, I made a mistake. In my checking book, I'm short $100. I'm thinking, oh, thank God. Here's $100. Here's $200. Good Lord. Scare me to death. What was like that? I mean, you know, we had, we had what, $150, and I'm freaking out, and I'm just, it's coming, this bill's coming. I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill, and it gets in your head, and, and you're full of worry, and you're full of concern. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I was talking to my mom on the phone. She says, how's it going? I said, well, I don't know. I'm having a hard time. By the way, my mom's in the hospital uh, this morning. They don't know what's wrong with her. If you could remember to pray with her, pray for her, I would appreciate that. But, uh, um, you know, she says, what's wrong? I said, well, I don't know. We got this bill. It's you know, $150. And she probably giggled on her end because that's not a lot of money. Uh, when you have money and she says well no problem I'll, I'll send it to you really yeah I'll, I'll put it in the mail tomorrow oh thank you mom and you know god bless moms so I hung up and now all of a sudden I feel great peace in the valley calm entered my soul it was fabulous now let me ask you a question had anything changed yet nothing did I still have the bill yep was it still coming due yep did I have the money? Nope. But I knew it was in the mail, you see. The check is in the mail because I could trust mom. Now, if my mom 
was a psycho crazy person that never kept her word, that'd be a different thing, you know. <laughs> but she was always, you could always depend on. She said she was going to do something, she did it. And right away, everything changed. Why? I became joyful in hope. I didn't have it. It wasn't real yet. But I was calm as I could be. He's talking about as believers in Jesus, we should walk around joyful in hope. Why? Because we have a God that we can trust. A God who is faithful. A God who honors his promises. A God that we can commit our concerns to and then walk around joyful in hope. Circumstances aren't, haven't changed. Things are still the same. But our attitude, our demeanor changes. Why? Because the check is in the mail. Hallelujah. Now let me share with you how you get there. You get to a place like that by trusting God in the smallest areas of your life. That's why wherever you're at in your faith, whether you're a brand new Christian, you've been a Christian for 10 years, I don't care, whatever it is, you need to start experiencing God in your life. Pray about the little things. Start praying about everything. The Bible says pray about everything. So pray and see God answer your prayers because when he starts answering your prayers, it starts building hope and it starts building confidence in, in you. And then when things really get tough, you can be in a place of hope even though nothing has changed yet. Amen. My saddest scenario, and wouldn't surprise me if some of you are here, people who all their lives, even Christians who've loved God for 10, 20, 30 years, but never really had to trust him for anything. Never really seen much of any kind of miracles or answers to prayer in their lives. They just go along. They're nice. They're faithful. But then something happens to them. The doctor tells them, you know, you've, you've got cancer. Looks bad. You know, your banker says, looks like you're going to have to go bankrupt. There's no way you can pull out. Something horrible happens with your children and they fold like a deck of cards. Those are the people I always feel the saddest for. Not, not the people who've struggled. Because the people who've struggled have learned how to trust God. And when it really hits in their life, they still stand strong. It's the people that life has always been good to them. They've never had to trust God for anything. Those are the people I always feel the saddest for. Because what I'm talking about right now, being joyful in hope, is like another planet to them. They don't know how to get there. Because they've never had to trust God. You got to trust God in the little things, man. Trust God today when you don't need much of anything. Don't just trust in yourself, your own checkbook, your own whatever the deal, your own intelligence, man. Trust God. Ask God to move in your life so you can get some answers to prayer. So you can build some faith. So you can get to that place where you know that you know that you know. Even though nothing's changed, you know and you're walking in joy. Because you know the check is in the mail. Joyful. In hope. I was talking about this a couple of Wednesdays ago in our Wednesday night Bible study. You know, David, King, da you know, uh, David, he came and he, and, he, and he fought Goliath. He was just a young kid. Some Bible scholars said he might have been as early as 16 years old. They don't know, but this young guy comes up. An entire army is scared to death of this one gigantic warrior. And this young guy says, I can kill him. I can kill him. And they asked him, what makes you so sure you can kill him? He said, because when I was watching the sheep one night, a lion came in and I killed that lion. And another time I was watching and a bear came in and I killed that bear. And he says, the God who helped me kill the lion and the bear will help me kill that big fat guy. 
You see, I'm sure there were thousands of men in that army who'd never killed a lion. Never had the misfortune of having a bear attack their flock. But really, who was the misfortunate ones? The ones who never were challenged. The ones who never had to grow in their faith. It was David. You would think a lion coming for you, that's a bad day. Right? A bear coming at you. Why, 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 God, why are you letting a bear come? God, why are you letting a bear come? God. No. Built character in the boy. And he was confident. They said, okay, you think you can kill him? Go for it because none of us know what to do. The little guy goes out there and whips that guy, knocks him down, cuts his head off with his own sword. Wow. But you don't get there like that. You get there by trusting God in the smaller circumstances and challenges of your life. And as your faith grows and you really start to know that you can trust God, then when everything goes wrong in your life, and you pray and you get the scriptures in you and then you break out of that and you become joyful in hope and people will say, why are you okay? What's changed? Nothing. Then why are you happy? Because the check is in the mail. You see, I know the answer's coming. My joy does not revolve around my circumstances. My joy revolves around my faith in a God who I know loves me and cares about me. I'm going to invite our ushers to come at this time to get ready to serve the communion this morning. And our musicians can come back up. Where are you at today in your faith? You think, wow, wow, I, I, joyful in, I got joyful in nothing, man. I mean, a lot of people, the only time they're joyful is when something joyful happens to them. They win the lottery, they're happy now. You know, everything goes good for them. Got a big raise. Now they're happy. That's easy, though. That doesn't require character. That doesn't require faith. That doesn't require experiencing God. So I really know you're walking with God when everything in your life is just awful. But yet somehow you walk free and detached of it all because you are joyful in hope. Not wishing not crying, not crossing your fingers. I'm telling you, you know that you know that you know. How do you know? I don't know. It's just I know because I know God. And I can trust Him because I've trusted Him before. I've experienced Him before. I've killed the bear and the lion. In my case, cockroaches. Or whatever, you know. The little, the sound of little things. And then you grow. And you grow and you grow and you grow. The good news, folks, is there is a God in heaven who is absolutely real, who is absolutely crazy about you. And I can't figure out for the life of me why, but he is. Do you know this God that we're talking about today? We're getting ready to have communion. This is where we focus on the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on that cross 2,000 years ago for you and for me. He died so that we could have new life. He took what he did not deserve so we can get what we don't deserve, which is forgiveness of our sins. Do you know this wonderful God? I'm going to invite all of you to bow your heads in a word of prayer with me. and We're going to pray a prayer together, and I'm going to encourage you to pray this prayer with us. If you will believe this prayer from the bottom of your heart, if you're willing to turn away from what you know is wrong in your life and put your faith in Christ, you can begin to experience God this morning and start your life of faith. 
Start growing into a situation where you can have joy and hope. Let's pray this together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and that you love me so much you went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. I now surrender myself to you. Amen.